All right. Let's pray before we finish chapter 4. Father in heaven, you are not only a great God, but you are a good God that hears us, that sees us, that works in and through us. Please do so tonight. Draw us closer to you so that we would be more useful in your hands. I pray this, Lord, so that you would be honored. All right, so we last talked about page 70. Uh, Hopefully, everyone got a chance to either reread it or listen to it over the last week just to be uh, reminded of the things that we'd be talking about tonight. Uh, Yeah, just uh, right around, it's all in the name. I think we ended just before that. All right. So, starting around 70, 71, what did you all underline? What stuck out to you? Paul. Yeah, and, and actually, Pastor mentioned that. You know, I think it's it's not completely exhaustive, but exhaustive nonetheless. And I, I yes, I was just going to say that I think we can get a similar point across. I hesitate saying we shouldn't approach prayer as I need to hurry up and get it done, right? Though there are times where we have more time, and sometimes we have less. So, if... Man, I can grab my water here. If we are in a situation where we're either praying in front of a group, or just don't have a lot of time ourselves, we're probably not going to say all of those things. But a condensed version could be something to the effect of, you know, Father, we know you love us. We know that you are um, in control of all things, and we thank you for uh, your perfect character. You know, something to that effect. I think we can summarize that, the main point being that we are acknowledging who he is. Sure. Yes, and I, I think, again, there are going to be instances where we are praying sporadically, where it's more off the cuff. But there are other times where we're praying before or after reading his word, where we're praying before or after discussing his word, where we're praying before or after singing, or, you know, where he is a focal part of why we are praying. And in those instances, it's probably a little bit easier to consider those things because we were just talking about them or or thinking about them. So, yeah, absolutely. Because his character is so incomparable and, um, one of my favorite words, ineffable, beyond description. I think, you know, we, we struggle and, and we do what we can, but we can never exhaust his character. So as those things come to mind, yeah. Correct. 
Correct. <laughs> yes, he does. And I think if, if done in the right way, it does honor him, you know, with the words. Um, so. Absolutely. Pastor. And I, I like the points that he makes. This is not a sidebar to the prayer. This is the first uh, request, and it's about God. This is the first focus of the prayer. God is up front and in, in you know up front and center, as they say. And I think that's one of the. The primary objectives when we pray is to remember that while God is using that prayer to help us and to change us, it is about Him. And that's where starting our prayer in this way gives us the ability to focus on who He is. Jonathan? No, go ahead. Yes, definitely another, um, I don't know if benefit's the best word, but another point of, another, another reason to do it, to remind ourselves how different we are from him. So I don't know if, I can't remember if you said something last week, Pastor, about... Um, his very name, Jesus Christ, is God's greatest name. I can't remember if you said that in our own discussion or, or in this discussion. But I was thinking about that a lot this week. Anybody read that and think, eh, I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, at the bottom of 70. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> in the, the second paragraph under, in all, uh, in, it's all in a name. He says, his very name, Jesus Christ, is God's greatest name. So I was thinking about that a lot. And I think if we look at a couple spots, we can understand better what he's actually saying. So if you go... If you go back a couple paragraphs, um, so for the book, page 69, the second from last paragraph, he says, he's quoting David in Psalm 7. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteous, righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Um, when the psalmist said, some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. He had much more in his mind than God's title. He was referring to the fullness of God's person. So, he's not saying um, Yahweh. He's not saying Adonai. He's not saying, you know, we will sing praise just to the name. He's saying we'll sing praise to the one who is our God because of his character, because of his 
his, as it says, his righteousness. Uh, and we will boast in the name of the Lord. And I was thinking about this. It's almost as if the word name is a stumbling block because it seems that they are using it in a different uh, in a different way than we would typically use the word name. However, I think we can... Did they no, I mean <laughs> Jews. I think we can understand it when we think about a family name or when we think about a church name. So, you know, we've gone to different churches and we might think, oh, the people at Inner City, the people at First of Sterling, we might think of them as a group. And if, if one of those, if one person from that group does something, it either reflects well or poorly on the name of that church and of the people as a whole. And so I couldn't think of a better example but God being one, and he has these names, it seems as though they're referring, especially in these instances, like in, in Psalm 7, not to the word, but to the person, right? And so when they're saying name, it's not the word, it's the person. So if we read it under that context... His very name, his very person, Jesus Christ, is God's greatest name or reflection. And then if you look at the end of that uh, paragraph, he says, Jesus' life was the perfect manifestation of God's name. Or again, I think we can substitute the word character. So in that context, he's saying Jesus is the perfect manifestation of of God's character. And it seems like that's what they're saying when they're using the word name uh, in both Old Testament and New Testament. It seems like it's not Bob, it's the person of Bob, or it's their character when they're using the word name. So I'm at, I want to do a little bit more looking into that to see if that's accurate. But that's what it seems like. When they say name, it's not what we think of. Correct. Which reveals the character yeah. of God. Yeah. Right. Jonathan, were you saying something? Okay. Yes. Like, well, God is the provider, and we latch onto that. We're like, I really like the fact that God is provider. 
and we forget about the fact that God is Lord of hosts and all these other things. And so, you know, if we find ourselves getting stuck on one attribute of God, maybe it's a time to say, all right, let me go look at Preston again, refresh me. I don't know. It's kind of a Sure. Well, in my, and I don't, again, I don't, I don't know if I'm reading into this, but after I read that and thought about it, since you said something, I was thinking, is that what he's saying? Is he saying the name J-E-S-U-S, like, is the greatest name? And as I read it, it seemed like, no, he was saying, because man was able to see God's character through him, that was the greatest representation of God known to man, not in a single aspect, but in his person as a whole. So that's what it... <laughs> John, you know, you might want to reword this. <laughs> well, and again, I, I think when we look at both Old and New Testament, it says his name. You know, for example, and you know, I don't want to harp on this because I know you guys have heard me say it before, but Jesus said, pray in my, ask in my name. I don't believe he was saying to end your prayer in Jesus' name. I believe he was saying, in my character. Pray in my character. Pray according to what I desire. Now, if you have ever ended a prayer, which pretty much I'm, I'm pretty certain every Christian, you know, in the last century, who knows how long, I don't know when it started, but... Every one of us has ended a prayer in Jesus' name, right? So I'm not saying that that's, you know, automatically wrong. But what I'm saying is I don't think that was the intent of the recommendation. And so I think it's one of those things that we can say just because everybody else says it and not actually think about what we're meaning and what we're saying. And so my question is, if, he's, if these instances, both Old and New Testament, when it says God's name or Jesus' name, if they are referencing his character, is it right or is it appropriate to end a prayer in Jesus' name? That's for each one of you to decide. I'm not telling you what to do. But I think it's worth considering the words that we say uh, when we pray. And I, one second. Absolutely, they have meaning when used as in thoughtfully, yeah, intentionally, right? Because we can all say the words and they have no meaning whatsoever. So, as we've said from the beginning, words matter, but our heart is really what dictates the efficacy of prayer. Exactly. That's where you get, I think we get a little too bogged down sometimes because if I'm praying to God and my heart's in the right place, I may not use the words you like, but God understands what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. Now, if you're praying corporately, that's where things get a little cloudier because God knows what I'm saying, but you don't. You, know, you may not understand. You can't see what's in my heart and what I intend by my words. Right. Mike? Um, I don't remember exactly, but I know um, one of the older preachers we had uh, was talking about why we say that, because supposedly it started like in the late 60s, early 70s. And what it was was to be more respectfully at the end of the prayer, because to acknowledge God at the end of the prayer. And so people were to think of that, 
Not necessarily had to. And like you said, you know, because there's other things to be done in the prayer. But yeah, I, I guess I just get tired of hearing it. <laughs> I, I, I think in general, and again, I don't know everybody's heart, but I think in general, when it's said, it, there's no thought behind it. It's said because that's what other people have said, and that's what they've heard everybody and their brother say. Like it, it's funny, you know, I've been listening to MacArthur messages for at least four years, and I listened to the ones from 1969 when he first... I think that's when he first went to the church, you know, all the way up till 2022, I think was the most recent one that I listened to. And the way he ends prayers has changed over that 50-some years. Early on, he ended a lot of prayers in Jesus' name. Once it got into the late 70s and early 80s, he started ending his prayers differently. And so it's just... I think it's something that all of us do. And again, I'm not saying every time it's done, it's done incorrectly or, or wrong or wrong motives. I'm saying I think, unfortunately, many times when it's done, it's done as just unconsciously. unconsciously yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it, you know, my exhortation would just be consider number one if that is if if what your words are if they line up with um, with what is intended, but then number two that you're saying something that you understand what you're saying. Right. And it's, it's interesting because he mentions at least three different aspects in this chapter of what it means to take God's name in vain. You know, one, yes, using Jesus' name as a cuss word. Two, saying anything about God that is not uh, true. And, and then third, uh, living in such a way that does not reflect what we know about God. Each one of those is an instance of taking God's name in vain. And so they're all things that we, we normally think about the first one, right? Using uh, God's name as a cuss word. But the other two, I think, are more uh, prevalent in a Christian's life. Well, when's the last time you started your prayer, hallowed be thy name? And that's, if you look at that, that's... Well, that, that's Old English. Holy is your name. Right. When's the last time you used that to start the prayer? Two days ago. <laughs> Show off. <laughs> well, because again, I, I mean, I've been going through this. This is my third time going through this book. So I don't know if I said this, and not, not that this makes it right or the only way, but many times when I pray, I consider this, and I, I'll start off and... I try to be very careful not to say it as a habit, um, but my general introduction is, uh, Father, holy is your name, perfect or uh, righteous are your judgments, and perfect are your ways. And I'm reminding myself that those things are true. I'm acknowledging those things. And so... Anytime we pray, we have to be aware of vain repetition and just saying words. That's why a lot of people start with gracious Heavenly Father, because they remember that they have to honor God when they start their prayer. So, I mean, 
Well, again, this is a personal pet peeve, but my feeling is if we start and end every prayer the same way, we're doing, at least at, at times, we're doing it out of habit. So I think, huh? Could be. Could be, yeah. Well, and so my ultimate concern is not that we are focused on being right, but that we do what is right. And our, I think, one of the one of the ruts that Christians fall into is finding something comfortable and then just continuing to repeat, rinse and repeat, and there becomes less thought, less intentionality less heart behind it. And so I think we always need to be, number one, uh, examining our own hearts, and number two, being willing to uh, listen to other people's exhortation, and at least to consider it, not to say that, you know, everybody's going to start saying these things because that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we should think about what we say, and look for more conversational prayers than rote prayers. Because two reasons. Number one, I think we have opportunity, especially when praying around believers or unbelievers, to be a testimony. But number two, why would we want to waste our breath and pray things that have no chance of getting answered because we're not praying with the right intent, with the right heart. And so if we're going to pray, we should pray effectively and seek to pray effectively. Well, and here's what I'll say to anybody that prays out loud. If you are thinking about your words and thinking about your God and not just saying things, I don't want to say this, but I don't care what you say. I don't care what words. If your intent is true, my primary exhortation is think. Don't just say. All right, 72, 73, um, failure to honor God. Well, we covered 70 and 71 pretty good. Pastor. So I was looking at, there seems to be kind of this failure to honor God idea. It results in devastating consequences. The whole thing about Moses not entering the land, bottom of 73, Moses' actions. Right after the quote from Numbers, Moses' actions drew the attention of the people to himself. And then after all the bolded things about all the bad examples, it says it's not always immediate or physically, but there will always be some consequence. And then I thought his list of ways that there were consequences for failing to honor God was really helpful, that it gives the enemy an opportunity to blaspheme God. God's word is dishonored. Sin can disqualify you. Uh, you can lose your life or well-being. God may withhold spiritual blessings. God's anger is invoked. God's spirit is grieved. And so when you have that list of, of uh, negative consequences to failing to honor God's name, it is a lot more significant. It's kind of like um, like when we think about the Lord's table, people are like, I just got to do this. It's just a thing you do every month or whatever interval, right? But when it's like, and there are some people who are dead because they did it the wrong way, it becomes a lot more serious. Right. And so if it's just like, well, I don't swear, I'm good, and then it's like, but we could live or act in a way that dishonors God's name, and here's all these bad consequences. It's a lot more serious, not just like, oh, I'm probably 
Right. Well, and Jim Berg talks a lot about this in one of his books, and he says, if we look at, you know, so look at the bottom, we initially might think disobedience, or we think anger is what the sin was, but he says, because you have not believed me, it was the sin of unbelief that God was really upset with, and, you know, as you were saying, we try to find the, the root or the primary thing to focus on. I, I wonder if unbelief is the root of all sin. And I don't say that lightly. I thought about that a lot. But, you know, sometimes people will say pride is the root of all sin. But I think unbelief might be the root of all sin. If you think about Adam and Eve, unbelief seemed to be at the root of their sin. Um, and so, anyways, something to consider. When we sin, is it because of unbelief? And I think majority of times it is. And the better we know ourselves and how we're tempted, the better we can pray, the better we can prepare. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think, and you know, there might be an instance where it's not the case, but I think the unbelief is the the spark for every sin, because we are we are. So, especially as a Christian, if we have humbled ourselves by God's grace and said, "I am nothing. You are Lord." Save me, be my Lord, I want to live for you. If we have come to that point, and then after that, sin, it seems like we forgot <laughs> what decision we made. You know, there's this lapse in judgment, there's this lapse in, in understanding, in belief that leads to I would say, you know, as far as I can think, every sin that we get into, whether it's pride, whether it's lust, whether it's uh, idolatry, whether it's disobedience, whether, you know, you name it, it starts with not believing who we've already acknowledged God is at one point. So, in our flesh, no. But if we are redeemed, we have the Holy Spirit. And so, when we sin, it is generally because we're striving in our flesh. And so, how do we walk in the Spirit? We believe what we know, and we act upon that. An act of unbelief is, like I said, that, that temporary forgetting or not believing what we know to be true. If we, if we could constantly know, and maybe this is what you're saying, it's not possible for us to constantly be 
um, ever uh, present-minded about all the truths of God. So because of that, we lapse into sin. I'm just saying, if it were possible, we would not sin if we always believed what we know to be true about God. Oh, I think it is. I don't think it is. I think it's just a, your, your natural reaction to a situation that you then repent of. I think it's absolutely unbelief because if in that moment you were able to remind yourself that God is sovereign, you wouldn't be angry. I understand, but that's, there's a split second of time and you're telling me that I can comprehend all that, but I just don't think humanly you can. Well, I guess I would say this. By God's grace... I have been able to, a number of times, respond correctly in extremely difficult situations where in the past I would not have. No, that's not what I'm saying. In the times that I didn't, I believe it was because of my unbelief. So... Yeah, and I would say the only time that we can do what is right is when we do believe who he is and what we know to be true. So, anyways, just my thought. All right, anything else on 72 or 73? All right, 74 or 75? Uh, So, under where he... Yeah, fear of the Lord, there it is. Yeah, the fear of the Lord is not an option. And I think we, yeah, and I think we mentioned, or I, I mentioned last week or the week before, you know, Tozer, no religion is greater than their idea of God. And, you know, that's something to, to consider because, again, when we, when we falter in our prayers, when we neglect to give God the appropriate honor with our words, with our lives, with our actions, again, I mean, I would say it's because we forget um, who he is. All right, 75, 76. Okay. Yes, that's the No, he was referencing the verse that says, fear is the beginning of all wisdom. All right, 76, 77, or uh, above, how to hallow God's name. Obviously, we have some examples of uh, the fear of God where it was and where it wasn't present. I thought that was an interesting example of how the disciples seemed 
and you know, looking at the words that were used in Matthew in particular, um, or in Mark even, uh, the words that were used for their, describing the apostles' fear once they saw Jesus was a, uh, a greater fear than fearing for their lives in the storm. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I was actually thinking about that one. It's so hard because we have no images of God, but I don't know about you guys, but I always try to imagine what he might look like, who I'm talking to, who I'm thinking about. And the closest I think I can come without uh, becoming uh, Catholic is, uh, you know, it says that our God is a consuming fire. So I, I picture um, a silhouette of a man, but all fire sitting on a throne. <laughs> That's kind of how I picture God at times. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Right. Yeah. What's well, funny, you know, the kids were doing, uh, I think, Bible character night, and um, Elise decided to dress up like Mary. And so she's trying to pick which baby to use as Jesus. And she had a darker-skinned baby, and I said, well, obviously use that one. And she's like, why? I said, Jesus didn't look like us. <laughs> there is no doubt his skin was darker than ours. I haven't met too many Iraqis that are pale. I've met some Syrians that are very light-skinned, but uh, anyways, not here or there. All right. Uh, acknowledge God exists. 78 or 79. I've got one thing on each page, but yeah, go ahead. So, uh, paragraph that starts, some people think taking God's name in vain is... Yes. He says, you can take the name of the Lord in vain every time you think about God's not true, or when you doubt him, Yes. And then across the page from that, right under live in obedience, for Christians to live in disobedience to God is the ultimate in taking his name in vain, claiming his Lord, someone we're not even willing to follow. Yes. So I think both of those kind of tie in with the earlier, I forget exactly what he said earlier in the chapter, but that there's more than one, it's a lot more than just the words we say, but the way that we live can also take God's name in vain and dishonor. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Go after women, have an arrow back, like. And it seems like potentially the reason that the repercussions were so strong was for that reason. And, you know, I was listening to a message the other day, and they're was talking about why Jesus um, sent the legion into the into the pigs, and something was brought up that I never considered. So here you have the two demoniacs, crazy, right? Cutting themselves, breaking chains, running around naked, just insane. And then they meet Jesus, and then they're in their right mind. And that's great, but how do you know that there was a thousand or more demons in them? By a thousand or more pigs jumping off of a cliff. And that was the evidence that there were so many. So I never thought about that specific 
reasoning behind it. And so that gave evidence to the power of God and what they were up against. And I think similarly, David's punishment, you know, as somebody who was under no one else's authority, who could do anything, was completely humbled. And, you know, I think that was a testimony to the nations, absolutely. Yes. And that's the goal, right? Our, our goal is to, you know, and it, it's funny, I can't remember the verse, um, but we are told to take up our cross daily. And we are told that, um, I think it's one of the Psalms, God's mercies are new every morning, right? So, um, I'm sorry? So there's something to each day being different from the previous one. There's something to us needing to acknowledge and to make decisions based on it being a new day. And so every day we have to choose to follow him. Every day we have to choose to submit, to obey, to trust. We can't just do it one time and then expect everything to go right. It has to be a constant, conscious thing to acknowledge him and to submit to him, to be willing to take up our cross every single day. And in doing that, we have the ability then, I believe, to walk in the Spirit because it is that constant uh, choice. The days that we wake up and we don't spend time with God and we just go about our day, not a great chance we're going to be walking in the Spirit. I'm not going to say impossible, but I think our odds are much less. All right. So, yeah, I was actually going to point out those two things, too. Knowing, know the truth about God. Many people claim they believe in God, but they don't hollow his name because they don't have a true knowledge of who he is. Discovering and believing truth about God demonstrates reverence for him. Willing ignorance or believing wrong doctrine demonstrates irreverence. And I think this is an indictment on any Christian that says, I said my prayer, I'll go to church once or twice a week, um, but the rest of the week there's no pursuit of God. The rest of the week there's no thought of Him. If we're not continually seeking after Him, we are living irreverently. We are taking his name in vain. Our goal should, to be, should be to be more like him, and that's an everyday decision that we need to make. All right, last page, page 80. Norma? When you have the right talk about God and live radically, you will hire his name, Psalm 38. Some of the people of this phrase read this excerpt to me. Oh my God, glory me, and let us pray his name. And again, it, I'm going to do a little bit more looking into the usage of his name but it seems to indicate his character more than just the, the letters put together. And so we need to magnify his character by living it out, by uh, manifesting it to others. All right, let's pray.
Father, your sovereignty, your immutability, your mercy, wonderful things to consider as we aim to please you in this life. Forgive us, Lord, for taking your name in vain, for not honoring you as we should with our words, with our lives. Please continue to work in us and through us, despite us. Use us for your glory. Use us to exalt the person of Jesus Christ. Be our strength, Lord, to take up our cross daily and to encourage one another along the way. Lord, as you will, what you will, when you will.